0: You guys can have a seat. Hey, so uh, ha- have you ever done something that in hindsight you wish you hadn't done? Maybe you said something to someone that, that if you think about it after the fact, you kind of wish you hadn't said that thing. Or maybe you, you posted something, right? We've all been there. We've posted something that, yeah, in hindsight, man, maybe I shouldn't have posted that. Something that, that whatever it is that if, if you could go back and, and do it all over again, you would. I ask those questions. I've been thinking about them this week because if you know me at all, you know that that happens a lot in my life. I've done and I've said things that, that I regret doing. I, I regret saying things. I, I've done things that, you know, if, if I could go back and, and do them all over again, I would. Things that I wish that I could change, but sadly I can't. Now, some of those things that, that I say uh, are worse than others. I'm going to share with you a story Frankly, it's not a story I want to share, but it's going to help make my point. So I'm going to share. This is one of the worser stories for me, things that I regret. One of my biggest regrets, actually, in college uh, in particular. So back in 2005, I was in college, and uh, most of you are probably too young to really remember this, but Hurricane Katrina smashed into the Gulf Coast, particularly smashed into uh, New Orleans. And when I say smashed into, I mean smashed into it. Uh, Billions of dollars of damage. Thousands of people died. It was a, a, a terrible, terrible thing. And, and so um, what, what, when I was uh, in college, uh, one of the campus ministries that I was a part of um, took about 100 Mizzou students down to New Orleans to do some hurricane relief, some flood relief. About a year, this was like nine months after the fact, and, and it still looked like this. Uh, you can see it was, I mean, this is nine months after this hurricane hit this area, still completely destroyed, And so we were going down, this group of college students connected to this ministry in town, it wasn't Veritas, Veritas wasn't around at the time, but we were going down to do hurricane relief. And the thing that I was most excited about was that about 10 of my fraternity brothers, I was in a fraternity here at Mizzou, about 10 of my fraternity brothers were were coming with me on this trip. Now these guys weren't connected really to this college ministry Uh, They were loosely connected to a Bible study that I kind of helped lead in our fraternity. But I was just excited to get to have a few days to spend time with them in this kind of context around other Christians doing this kind of thing. And so we got down there, and we were doing our thing. And and about the third night, uh, it was about the third night roughly, I don't know, it's been a long time ago, so I don't quite remember, uh, around the third night, so, so I should say this, we had a curfew every night. We, this was the Ninth Ward area of New Orleans. wasn't the safest of places at the time. Um, so we had a curfew. There's a large compound, and we had this warehouse that they, they kind of converted into like hundreds of cots. There were lots of people down in this place. Um, and so we had a curfew. It wasn't the safest. We had to be in every night at the same time. We had to go to bed at the same time, all that. Well, one particular night, about the third night, uh, it, word got out that a couple people were missing. Uh, hadn't checked in at curfew and so as that kind of spread throughout the group uh, it it became more and more evident that that these guys weren't there and they didn't seem to be coming back anytime soon and as it turns out the two guys that were missing were two of my fraternity brothers which when I found out I thought great of course the fraternity guys who aren't really connected to this group uh, guys that I brought along with me uh, kind of represent me if you will uh, they're gone. And we didn't know where they were. We tried calling, no answer. Uh, an hour goes by after curfew, nothing, two hours, nothing. At that point, the, the leaders of the organization, lots of people down in this place, um, leaders of the organa- organization start to get involved. And they're worried. They're trying to reach out to people. They're trying to figure out where these guys are at. Three hours goes by, nothing. Four hours goes by. It's about 1 a.m. now. And at this point, most people had gone to bed, except myself, another friend of mine at the time, and the kind of directors of this ministry. We're all sitting, trying to figure out, what do we do? We don't know where these guys are at. Uh, We don't know what's going on. They're not answering phones. We, We genuinely have no idea what's going on. And then off in the distance, we hear a noise. I didn't know what it was, but as it turns out, it was a car, because it was getting closer and closer to us. And I say it was a car making a noise. Really, it sounded like a nightclub on wheels. But that car, it drove up until kind of we were sitting at the entrance of this compound, and it parked right in front of us, had no idea whose car this was, had never seen his car in my life. Loud music, doors fly open, smoke comes billowing out, out stumbled my fraternity brothers, who had decided that apparently bucking the rules for the night to go out and uh, see Bourbon Street was a better idea. Now, I'm going to be honest, in, in that particular moment, my worry for these guys quickly went away and instantly kind of became embarrassment and anger. I was, I was so angry at them because, like I said, they, they represented me. They represented our fraternity. And so in that moment, my worry about, hey, are these guys okay, it turned into anger and embarrassment. And you know what I did? You know how I responded? This is the part that I said I regret. I just laid into them. Campus directors were there, friends were there, and I just let these guys... I I, I kid you not, I screamed louder and longer at these two guys, these two friends, than I think I've ever screamed at anyone in my life. And I know that that's not a flattering thing to say, but it's true. I screamed at them longer and louder than than I have at any point probably in my life because they made me feel dumb, and so my thought process was, now I'm going to make you feel really dumb. They embarrassed me, and so my thought process was now I'm going to embarrass you. And that's exactly what I did. I screamed at them and I made them feel really dumb and I made them feel really embarrassed. And to be honest, in the moment, it felt pretty good because man, I was mad at them. And when I was done, I'm sharing this story because this is the thing that I'll never, I'll never forget. When I was done, one of those guys looked up, he was kind of looking down as you would imagine. He looked up and he said, you know what, Kyle, you think you're so much better than us. You think you've got it all figured out. You think your life is so great. You think that you're so much better than us, but really, you're just a hypocrite, and nobody knows it. You're just a hypocrite, and and nobody knows it. Now, if I could be completely honest with you, at the time, I didn't agree with his assessment. I didn't see it. But as the days and weeks and months and, frankly, years went by, I realized that guy was exactly right. I was. I was a total hypocrite. See, I thought that I was morally superior to them. I thought that I was better than them. But really, I was just arrogant. I was just self-righteous. I was proud. And I was hypocritical. He was right. And the thing that I regret as I think about that, you know, my words and my actions that night, my hypocrisy, you know what it did? It really hurt my friendship with those two guys. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that, but it did it, it, my words, my actions that night, it hurt my rela- my friendship with those two guys was never the same. to this day. It, it's not the same, even having conversations after the fact. It's not been the same. But you know what I regret even more? that my hypocrisy that night, my words, my actions, how I treated those guys in that moment you know what? it hurt more than our friendship? It hurt their faith in Jesus. It hurt their faith. It became increasingly evident to me. I lived with these guys for the next two, three years. It became increasingly evident that they wanted less and less to do with Jesus because of what I had done to them. I was their Bible study leader. I mean, imagine that. I was their Bible study leader. I was one of a few guys in our fraternity that claimed to follow Jesus. But here I was claiming to follow Jesus, claiming to lead and teach the Bible, but I couldn't even live out the things that Jesus said. I was a hypocrite. And that had consequences. It had consequences on our friendship. It had consequences on their faith. I don't know where they stand to this day with Jesus. We're in this series right now. We're we're calling it uh, Hard Questions, Uneasy Answers. And the reason that we're doing that is because you guys, one of the things that I love most about working with college students, you guys have great questions, hard questions, honest questions, genuine questions. And we get questions all the time from you all, and I love it. I love wrestling with them. They're hard questions. They often don't have easy answers, and sometimes those answers, they, they make us a little uneasy. One of those good questions, hard questions, that I hear all the time is probably guess it by now. It's this. Why are Christians so hypocritical? Why are Christians so hypocritical? See, if that's your question, just hear me say this. I get it, Right? I totally get it. I get it because I've been a hypocrite. I, in many ways, probably am a hypocrite. I've experienced hypocrisy in the lives of others. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I, I, if this is your question, I get it. If you're sitting there wondering why the heck are Christians so hypocritical, I totally understand. And I think Christians, if you're a Christian, if you're someone in the room who says, yeah, I follow Jesus, then we've got to wrestle with this question. We can't deny it. We can't dismiss it. We can't, certainly can't defend it. And the reason we can't deny it is because it's not hard in our culture to find Christian hypocrisy, is it? Christian nationalists who, who worship politics and country more than they worship Jesus. Pastor scandals, church cover ups, hypocrisy, deep, ugly, sinful hypocrisy. Some of those things we'll actually talk about later this semester. I want to bring it a little closer to home. A couple years ago, 2018, uh, someone sent me a tweet. I didn't have Twitter uh, back then. And so someone sent me a screenshot of a tweet. It was a tweet that was starting to go viral. It was a, it was a current Mizzou student about a Christian that he or she had witnessed, uh, interacted with uh, earlier that week. This is, this is what the tweet said. It said, a Christian made a joke about the pronoun section on the waivers at work and then wrote, child of God. Child of God then proceeded to tell child of God's friend, how effed up child of God got at bar last night. Child of God is 18. That was a viral tweet going around Mizzou back in 2018. Now, I, I just want you to like, think about that for a second. If this is how people claiming to follow Jesus are, 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 are acting and, and living, then, then what does that say about Jesus? I don't know all the details about this. I honestly don't even know how true this is. But I'm just going to take it at face value and say it is true, and that did happen. What sort of message does that communicate about Jesus? What sort of message does this communicate to a watching world about who Jesus is and what Christianity is is all about? When people claim to follow Jesus with their heads but can't follow with their lives. Follow, uh, announce Jesus, acknowledge Jesus with their lips but can't follow Jesus with their lives. What what sort of message does that? Author Brenning Manning. Uh, before he died, uh, he died about 10 years ago. Uh, he, he said this. It's a pretty familiar quote, maybe. He said this. He said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Unbelievable. See, see, maybe you're here tonight, and, and, and you're really uh, uh, struggling with Jesus, because if you're honest, you're, this, is, this is you. You're looking around, and, and maybe it's not in here, but maybe it is, but somewhere you're looking around, and what you see over and over and over again is Christian hypocrisy, people who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but not with their lives. And Maybe if that's not you, maybe you know someone. I bet you know someone who struggles to follow Jesus, maybe doesn't want anything to do with Jesus because they look around and they see Christians who are so hypocritical. Now, here's the thing. Nobody likes hypocrisy, do they? I mean, there's no one in here that likes hypocrisy. Nobody in here thinks that hypocrisy is is virtuous. Nobody likes hypocrisy. But here's the thing. Do you know who hates hypocrisy more than us? You know who's against hypocrisy more than we're against hypocrisy? Jesus Jesus is against hypocrisy. Jesus hates our hypocrisy. Some of us think that, that, that Christian hypocrisy is a reason to listen to Jesus less, right? It kind of makes Christianity null and void. I think what I'd like to say is, is that Christian hypocrisy, if you're against hypocrisy, then I think it's actually a reason to listen to Jesus more. Because I think when you listen to Jesus, you realize that you might have a lot in common with him because Jesus hates hypocrisy. Uh, The Gospel of Luke. Remember, Luke is one of four uh, biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, kind of the last third of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four authors, four biographies. But the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, he says this in verse 1. Meanwhile, When a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak to his disciples, saying, Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. See, what Luke is doing for us in this verse is he's painting for us a scene. And the scene is this. Thousands of people have gathered to see Jesus Jesus, at this point in his ministry, is increasingly kind of popular, at least uh, interestingly so. People are there at least to hear him, at least to see him. There are thousands of people, so much so they're trampling over each other just to see him, are there to see Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus knows this, but then what he does is he pulls his disciples aside. He pulls his friends, disciples, his friends, his closest followers, before he speaks to the masses, he pulls a small group of people aside, and he says, I've got something to teach you. I want to teach you something. I want to tell you something that's really important. Before I say anything out here, I want to tell you something. And what does he do? He warns them. He warns them about the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? Maybe you know, maybe you don't. If you don't, that's fine. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were some of the kind of religious leaders, if you will. They were, they were some of the kind of super religious people, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And these Pharisees, they were known for kind of their faithfulness to God, their devoutness to God. And it's interesting, though, that Jesus is warning his followers about these religious leaders, right? We wouldn't expect that. We wouldn't expect Jesus to warn people about religious people. We would expect Jesus to warn people about bad people or or messed up people or some other kind of person, not the religious people, but Jesus is kind of going after the religious people. Why? Because he says of their hypocrisy. Jesus is going after them. He says be on guard uh, because of their hypocrisy. Now, if Jesus is saying be on guard, if he's telling them, and by virtue of that, he's telling us, because this is his word to us, if he's telling them and us to be on guard against the Pharisees' hypocrisy, then I think we've got to make sure that we know what Jesus means when he uses this word hypocrisy. What does this word mean? Well, this word hypocrisy, here's what it means. Uh, The word hypocrite or hypocrisy, this is a little dorky, I know, just hang with me. It comes from the Greek word for actor or, or literally one who wears a mask. That's what the word hypocrite, hypocrisy, it comes from this Greek word. It just means actor. So when you hear hypocrite in the Bible, when you hear hypocrisy in the Bible, think actor. Think someone wearing a mask. And here's the kind of background to that meaning. In, in, in ancient Greece, theater was, was hugely important, like plays and stuff, right? Hugely uh, popular, hugely important. And, and literally, like thousands of people would come to the theater to see plays. They, they were so popular, so important, culturally speaking, that they would literally let prisoners out of jail for the day to see a play and then send them back to jail after the play. Every town in ancient Greece had at least one theater. Big deal. Thousands of people. Fantastic plays. Intricate plays. Complex plays. And and as you would imagine, there are all sorts of characters in these plays, right? That's what makes a good story, good characters. But the thing about these plays is there weren't actually a lot of actors. There were only a few actors playing all these different characters, but the way that they did that was by wearing different masks. This is, a, this is a kind of, yeah, this is an example. These are some of the masks that, um, that these actors would, would wear in these plays. And, and, and you, you get the point, right? It's like changing costumes, right? But the point is that to change characters, you just put on a different mask. In order to be a different person in the play, you would put on a different mask. And so what happens in the Bible is that when, when the kind of Bible authors, when they pick up this word hypocrite in Jesus' day, what happens is that word, it starts to have a pretty negative connotation, particularly in context of your relationship with God. And so what hypocrite in the first century, in Jesus' day, in the Bible, when we read that word, what hypocrite means is someone who pretends. It's someone who's acting. It's, it's someone who's wearing a mask in their relationship with God. Which is why, back in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus is warning against the, uh, against the Pharisees, why he's warning his followers, his people, why he's warning against the religious leaders, because he says that their hypocrisy is dangerous. He says it, it's like yeast. It, what does yeast do? It spreads in dough. Jesus is using a metaphor there. He's saying the religious people's hypocrisy, it spreads, it's dangerous. It spreads in their lives and it spreads in the lives of others. And so he says to be on guard. Remember earlier when I said Jesus is against hypocrisy. If you don't like hypocrisy, neither does Jesus. Jesus is warning his followers that we should be on guard. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be on guard against hypocrisy. That we should be looking out for it. Because when we see it, we gotta be careful because it spreads in our lives and in the lives of others. What are some examples of hypocrisy? Again, Jesus kind of uses the Pharisees as his playground, if you will. This is is what he says. Uh, This is Luke 11, uh, verse 39 and 40. Jesus said to the Pharisee, he's talking to a Pharisee in in, in this moment. Uh, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Imagine Jesus saying that about you, by the way. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? Every time I read these verses, I think about hotels. And the reason that I think about hotels when I read these verses is because of this video that I want to watch. Uh, It's several years old. The resolution's terrible. But I think you get the point.
1: As tough as it is to travel these days, it can feel nice to get to your hotel room. You can relax, watch TV, pour yourself a drink, or maybe not. In hotel after hotel after hotel, I-Team Hidden Cameras expose a dirty little secret. So it could be six years that this cup has never touched really hot water. Or soap. Or soap, or been sanitized in any way. Correct. Randy Searles is talking about how the guest glasses and coffee cups were cleaned at the six-year-old Embassy Suites Hotel in Alpharetta, a hotel where he used to work as a manager before he was fired for an unrelated issue.
0: Basically what they're doing there is using a uh, glass camp cleaner to spray into their uh, glasses, wipe them out, and put them, and put them back.
1: We booked a room at the Embassy Suites to see for ourselves. Our hidden camera captures the housekeeper putting the glasses into the dirty sink. Then she sprays a blue liquid on them. Take a look, a liquid that's labeled, do not drink. Then she rinses them off and dries them. They never leave the room. Well, this is not an acceptable practice. We wondered if the Embassy Suites was the only hotel not washing their guest room glasses the right way. So we checked in for two nights at this downtown Holiday Inn. Thank you, the room the And at the Sheridan Galleria Suites in Cobb County. We were clear that one person would stay one night, but another person would take the room the second night. Once inside, we filled our drinking glasses with soda and we marked them with lipstick. So as housekeeping came in, we left with hidden cameras rolling. At the Holiday Inn downtown, it happened again. Watch the housekeeper clean our dirty glasses. She turns on the water simply rinses them out, and sets them back out to be used again.
0: That's why I don't drink from a hotel cup, right? It's disgusting, right? I mean, (laughs) do not drink. This is not an acceptable practice. Nice, good. Uh, Right, like the glasses in a hotel room, they look clean on the outside, but who knows what the heck's been on the inside for six years, right? I mean, it's disgusting. And here's the thing. In, a, in kind of a certain way, like that's exactly what Jesus is saying about these religious leaders. That's what Jesus is saying about the Pharisees. He's saying, look, these religious leaders, these people that you think have it all figured out, they, they're projecting, right? They look really clean on the outside, but on the inside, behind the mask, they're full of mess. They're full of dirty, right? They're projecting an image, but that image that they're projecting, it's not real. They're, they're just pretending, so there's a, there's a kind of hypocrisy that, that kind of makes it seem like we've got it all figured out. We've got it all put together on the outside, but on the inside, we're just a mess. We're pretending. But Jesus says there's another kind of hypocrisy. It looks like this. This is uh, Luke eleven forty two. 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that for for the Pharisees, for these religious leaders, it was more important for them to follow rules than it was for them to deal with their hearts. These these religious leaders, they they were quick to follow rules. They were were quick to look impressive to people. But but in their uh, pursuit of impressing people and their pursuit of following rules, really what they're doing is they're neglecting the things that God cares about. They're neglecting things like love and justice. See, Jesus is saying that there's a hypocrisy that happens when when the truth of who God is. It affects kind of what we do, but it doesn't really get into our hearts. It doesn't really take root in our heart, and it doesn't really change us. It doesn't really transform us. We're just kind of going through the motions. We're just kind of sterile. We're just kind of mechanical. We're just kind of coasting along. It's hypocrisy. We're just pretending. We're acting. We're wearing a mask. There's one more. Lots more, but we're just going to look at one more. He says this, 1143, woe to you Pharisees, common theme, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Now, I think this is the most obvious, right, at least on the surface. Jesus is saying, look, these guys, they crave praise from people more than they crave God. They crave people's approval, they crave people's opinions, they crave people's attention more than they crave God. So what happens is their, their churches, their synagogues, they, they become not a place to worship God, but they become a place to, to kind of accrue prestige for people to say, hey, look at me. Their marketplaces, their, their open spaces, their public places become a place for them to display their prominence. To say, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm kind of an important thing. See, what, what Jesus is saying is, look, the Pharisees, they want to be seen, but it's all a show. They're just actors in a play. And I think that the reason why Jesus is going after the Pharisees, why Jesus is going after these religious leaders, because he's trying to make the point that in their hypocrisy, they're not following God. They look like they're following God. They're pretending to follow God. They've got a lot of people fooled because they've got a mass that says, I'm following God. But really, what they're following, they're living out some external, superficial religion. Their hearts, however, are far from God. And Jesus is saying to them, and He's saying it to us, that's dangerous. It's dangerous because it will spread in your life, it will spread in our lives, in the lives of others. It hardens our heart. Hypocrisy hardens our hearts and leads people astray. And so what I want to say to you tonight is, is, is regardless of where you're at with Jesus, I get that in a room this big, I get that there's a lot of different places that we're at with Jesus. But here's the thing. Every single one of us here tonight needs to hear Jesus' words about hypocrisy. If you're someone who has has been following Jesus for a while, or, or at least claims to follow Jesus, uh, then, then I think that that these you know, woes to the Pharisees, if you will, these words that Jesus has about the Pharisees' hypocrisy, I think it should challenge us. I think it should force us to stop and pause and ask and reflect, like, is this true of me? It should cause us to ask questions, hard questions, uncomfortable questions. Questions like this, where am I pretending to look clean on the outside, but really on the inside, my heart's a mess? Where am I pretending to look clean on the outside? Where am I trying to fool people? Where are you trying to fool people in your life? That you got it all figured out, that you've got it all put together, that you're clean, but inside you're a mess. It's a hard question, but so is this one. Where in my life do I care more about impressing others than than doing what God wants? Where am I going through the motions? Where am I trying to look like I got it all put together? Where am I willing to follow rules here and there? But I kind of neglect what God really wants. I just want to be seen as impressive. Where's that true for you? How about this one? What ways do I seek the praise of people over God? Guilty. I want people's praise all the time more than I want God's. I chase people's praise all the time more than I chase God. Where, where, where's that true for you? What about this one? What are the ways that I project an image of myself that isn't real? Man, I think that this might be the one for our moment in history, right? We're constantly curating images of ourselves, literally on our phones, literally all day, right? We're curating an image of ourselves to project a certain image, to project a certain persona about who I am. This is me. This is my brand so that I can have my influence. I care a lot about my image. I'm projecting who I am, and I'm hiding something. I'm hiding the real me. What about this one? When do I live in one way in some settings but another in another's? In other words, where am I living a double life? What are the times, places, people? Who, who are you around that, that you live one way, when you're around them or, or, or when you're in that circumstance or at that time you live this way, but when you're over here with that person, well then you live like that.. <laughs> Guys, we've we got to take these questions seriously. We've got to take the watching world's questions seriously. When someone asks, why are Christians so hypocritical, we got to take it seriously because Jesus takes it seriously. Jesus is against it. Jesus hates it. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with hypocrisy. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, then that should be our stance too. We've got to take it seriously because that's what Jesus does. Some of us here, though, tonight, we're, we're kind of keeping Jesus at arm's length because of Christian hypocrisy. I want you to hear me, th- hear me say this, though. The solution to Christian hypocrisy, it's not to reject Jesus. It's to go deeper with him. The solution to Christian hypocrisy, if you're sitting there thinking, man, this is the exact reason why I don't really want much to do with Jesus. This is the reason why I'm not all in with Jesus because of Christian The solution is not to reject Jesus. The solution isn't to hold Jesus at arm's length. The solution isn't less Christianity. It's deeper Christianity. It's real Christianity. It's true Christianity. See, Martin Luther King Jr., it's interesting. When when he confronted the the, the white churches of his day for these terrible atrocities that were being carried out in, in the name of Jesus, what's really interesting is MLK, he didn't, you know what he didn't do? He didn't call people to walk away from the church. He didn't call people to loosen their Christian commitments. He didn't call people to reject Jesus. No, he called them into something deeper a truer, deeper, firmer Christianity, a more real Christianity. He called the church to be what God wanted the church to be, not what it was doing and not what it would do. He called them into something greater, into something deeper. See, what I want to say is that if you're here and you're turned off by Christian hypocrisy, so is Jesus. Do not leave without hearing that. So is Jesus. Which is exactly why we got to get to know Jesus. Right? That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. To get to know Jesus. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about following people. Alex said that last week. Christianity is about following Jesus. It's about following him. And so we gotta get to know him. So if you don't know where you're at with Jesus, I get it. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. But hear me say this: don't walk away from Jesus until you really get to know him so that you know what you're actually walking away from. Get to know Jesus. Some of us are wondering, I'm gonna end here tonight. This isn't really the point of what I wanted to say, but but some of you are wondering, okay, I think I'm tracking, but here's the question: how do I actually fight hypocrisy? How do I fight hypocrisy? I would say this, that we fight hypocrisy by realizing it doesn't start with fixing the world's hypocrisies. It starts with fixing our own. See, the issue is not fixing the world. It's fixing me. It's fixing you. It's fixing us, right? I'm the problem. You're the problem. We're the problem. And so we've got to get really honest with ourselves about that reality. We've got to be honest. Music team, you guys can come back. If we want to fight hypocrisy in our lives, we've got to get really honest with ourselves. We've got to be willing to ask some really hard questions. Where am I pretending? Ask yourself that right now. Where are you pretending? Where are you pretending in your relationship with God? Where are you projecting an image of your relationship with God? Where are you hiding in your relationship with God? See, we can't deny it. We can't defend it. We can't dismiss it. We've got to be honest with ourselves. If we if we wanna fight, if we actually wanna fight hypocrisy, then we've gotta stop pretending and start being more transparent. If we wanna fight hypocrisy, we've uh, we've gotta stop pretending and hiding and be more transparent. Transparent with ourselves, honest with myself, transparent with each other, transparent with God. Now here's the thing: that's really scary, isn't it? I mean if we're really honest, that's scary. it's scary for me. It might not seem, it's scary. I'm insecure about standing in front of hundreds of people telling you, this is one of my biggest regrets in college. I stand and I made some guys look like idiots. And it hurt their faith. It's scary to bring that darkness into the light. But here's the thing, it doesn't have to be, because Jesus didn't come for perfect people. Jesus didn't come for clean people. Jesus said he came for sick people, people who don't have it all figured out, people who don't look clean, people who aren't all put together. And so we don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to keep up the facade. You don't have to hide. Jesus is inviting you to take off the mask He's inviting you to bring your failures, to bring your mistakes, to bring your pride, to bring your moral superiority. He's inviting you right now to bring your hypocrisy, bring it into the light, and lay it at his feet. Because that's where forgiveness is found. Jesus wants to forgive, but we've got to bring it to him. Let me pray for us. if we're honest, there is hypocrisy in all of our lives. There are all sorts of ways where we are pretending, hiding, wearing a mask. God, I I just ask that that you would break us from the enslavement that thinks that we've got to have it all figured out. That we've got to be all put together, that we've got to be clean, that we've got to look a particular way But instead, that we can just bring it to you. God, help us to want to bring that to you. Help us to want you. You invite us to take the mask off. We don't have to hide. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to be insecure because in you is hope, in you is love, in you is forgiveness. And so we ask, would you change us, oh God? Change us so that when people look at our lives, see you. So that when people see how we live, when people see this community of people, they're drawn to you instead of repel. Oh God, we want that to be true. We pray it in your name.